Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This episode was originally recorded as a weekly live training for the 21-day Run Faster Challenge. If you'd like to watch these trainings live or participate or ask questions, please join the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. And if you found this episode helpful or relatable, please subscribe to this show and or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening to it. My whole goal is to get this information to as many trail runners as possible, and every little bit of engagement helps. All right, let's get to the episode. This week, we're going to be talking about how strength training can absolutely make you faster. If we're looking to get faster, then getting stronger is one of the best things you can do to make that happen. All right, so if we're really looking to increase our speed, let's try to get stronger. It also has a bunch of other benefits. It can help reduce your risk for injury. Granted, like if you have no time and can't even get above like 20 miles a week and you're trying to train for an ultra, then maybe all you have time for is running and that's okay. And we also see this on the other end. So in the first edition of his book, Jason Coop like wasn't a huge fan of strength training and he's changed that position a little bit. But, and I grant, granted, I've listened to this podcast, I know it's a more intricate position. That said, like if you're dealing with some of the biggest races and highest level athletes in the world, and they're a 50, 60, 70 mile week is a deload week, and you're spending two plus hours a day like running up and down mountain trails, then maybe strength training just isn't at the top of your priority list, right? That said, it also might be even more important for some people doing that high level volume. Running is not exactly a balanced sport. It is primarily done in what we call a sagittal plane, meaning you're like moving forward and there's not a lot of side to side. Trails switch this up a little bit. You get a little variation because of all the uneven surfaces and twists and turns and switchbacks and all that stuff. But it is still primarily this like forward dominated movement. So strength can really help to balance you out. That's a thing that you struggle with as well. Now, it is not at the top of your list, as I said, to get faster. There are much more important things like training your cardiovascular system or being good at the skill of running. Nothing is gonna make you faster than those two things, but strength can help a lot. And you don't need a lot of it in order to get faster and see some likelihood of injury prevention. So the last time I did a thing on strength training, I said something to the effect of, you need to lift heavy to create change. And in the interim of like the past six months, I've kind of changed my position a little bit. This is not completely true, but I'll get more into that in a second. Like I would first like to look at the traditional frame of strength training a bit. Different weights and different rep ranges seem to do something slightly different. And before I get too into the weeds, I'd say like all training is on a spectrum, just like running and other stuff. Even if you know your exact heart aerobic heart rate on a day that keeps you in the zone of like whatever percent fat oxidation, 
let's say it's 48. It's not like training at a heart rate of 147 gets you a purely aerobic benefits and training at 149 is completely anaerobic. It's not even remotely true. Physiological changes happen at certain heart rates and there are things like lactate thresholds and critical speed and all sorts of stuff, but it's still a spectrum. And similarly, strength training is also a spectrum. If you lift really heavy weight, a, like a weight you can only lift well two to five times, it has a huge effect on your central nervous system to such a degree that a heavy back squat is one of the like, quickest ways to boost your testosterone. It even affects your hormones. So you might see people refer to this type of training as high weight, low rep, doubles and triples, um, fives, like something you can only do five reps of, pure strength training, in quotes, you likely won't get a lot of collective volume. We'll talk about volume in a second, but it can create big connections and adaptations to your central nervous system. And if you're looking for an appearance perspective, it just makes you look like solid. You'll often hear a description of like granite. Not necessarily big, just solid. Think Bruce Lee. Very strong, not very big, like he was carved out of stone. And if you want a like bigger bodybuilder, if that's a thing you're interested in, like Dorian Yates was very like heavy lifter for a lot of his life, and as a result, he had a just like granite built back. Now, if you lift a moderately, moderately heavy weight, a weight that you can only lift well like six to fifteen times. Um, or you might often hear this like 8 to 12 reps, it seems to target more muscle growth, and we'll call this hypertrophy. You might, you might create some new muscle cells, but you largely create a bigger like cross-section of each muscle fiber. A muscle fiber is this long, spindly cell, kind of like this pencil, and when you create hypertrophy, you take this pencil and you make its uh, diameter bigger, right? So, this matters for strength because if your muscles are bigger, they can pull a bit harder. And it's not all about size. Power lifters are often somewhat smaller than big bodybuilders when it comes to pure muscle. But a well-trained 100-pound human is very likely not going to be able to lift as much as a well-trained 200-pound human. And that's why there are weight classes in things like Olympic lifting. Now, if you lift a lighter weight, something that you can lift to like 15 or, I don't know, 30 times, it promotes more what you call the pump. I've even heard up to like 40 or 50. Um, it's also, the pump is also called like cellular swelling. There's another name for it that's not coming to my mind right now. It's basically when your muscles become engorged with blood, your skin feels tight, and all your veins start to get like really poppy. If you ever given blood, they have you like squeeze that ball and do this a bunch of times, and eventually your veins are going to start to pop out. And that is starting to be what the pump is. Others, some people really love this feeling. Arnold notoriously, it's like his favorite thing in the world. Others don't like this as much. Some athletes, like climbers and for others, others for whom like grip really matters, they actively try to avoid this feeling. And just a little side note, this is like one reason why nutrition is not the same for all athletes. Sodium, glycogen, and thing, a lot of things in a common like pre-workout like beta-alanine, arginine, and citrulline, all increase your ability to get the pump. And that's because they increase blood flow. For most runners, this trade-off could be worthwhile because increased blood flow um, results in a more efficient or effective cardiovascular engine. For other athletes, like 
the aforementioned climbers or Spartan racers or CrossFit athletes or Ninja Warrior competitors. They don't want this because of the grip. Skyrunners actually could struggle with this because their calves often get really tight and kind of crampy and pumped out. So you might not want that. And that's like a particular subset of running either. You all might have to be a little more dialed in when it comes to the exact amount of sodium and glycogen and be a little cautious when with something like a pre-workout or a bunch of beet juice or anything else that like upgrades your nitric oxide levels because you don't want to get that pump in certain sports. It does have a high value in training. It does have some value in training, especially these like pumped out feelings. It can increase blood flow and tends to improve muscle connection. Now, if we're looking to increase muscle size, this is kind of where my opinion has changed from listening to people like Cody McBroom and Lane Norton. When it comes to muscle growth, it almost completely comes down to volume. Granted, it still has to be good workouts, has to be of the same workout, but volume is what matters. And for strength training, we can define volume as weight multiplied by your reps, by your sets. When they do studies on people who lift, and again, to, as you all might know, this typically tends to be college-age males with like little to no training, because that's who's really easy to study. They've actually done this on like advanced lifters as well. And when you equate volume and calories and protein, nothing else really seems to matter when it looks to muscle growth. If you eat enough food relative to your metabolic rate and you get some, a bunch of protein and you equate volume, you will see a very similar training effect. So at that point, it comes down to like some measure of efficiency. You will often see strength programming for runners that involve something like 150 box step-ups. And while that might very well create a bunch of strength and muscle growth, it's not necessarily that efficient. Think of it this way. If you want to gain some muscle in your bicep, you could lift a one-pound dumbbell a hundred times, or you could lift a 20-pound dumbbell five times. Both of them are fine. They're going to get you a very similar effect, but one will take up a lot more of your time. And that's just a thing most of us don't have. So we're trying to cut that, that gap between effective and efficient programming. And this is where heavier weights can often really help. Now, when it comes to muscle size or your ability to like adapt to training, just like everything else, there's a huge genetic component here. You can't teach your VO2 max. You also can't necessarily teach the ability to put on muscle. Some people just do it easier than others. The endo, ecto, mesomorph thing isn't exactly right. It's all this like collective spectrum, but if we compare me to my college roommate, like I could easily put on 10 pounds in the next couple of weeks, whereas Patrick, still really good friends with him, by the way, he's the one who like convinced me to do a Tough Mudder forever ago, and he was 110 pounds soaking wet for the entire time we lived together, and to gain muscle, he probably would have had to have consumed like 3,500, 4,000 calories per day and strength trained like four hours per week. He just had a really effective metabolism. Doable, but certainly wasn't going to happen by accident. He would have had to put in a lot of work to do that. Now, another thing that's missing if you're only going for volume is you're not going to get as much of that central nervous system adaptation, which can be really helpful, right? One of the big benefits of training heavy is it tends to really tweak that central nervous system. Whereas if we're not giving those like heavy low reps, at least occasionally throughout your year, you're not going to get that, that change. That is the thing that you should probably be doing in your off season or like far away from your race. 
you do not want to pair this like singles, doubles, triples, like sub five lifting, most unless you're really experienced with lifting. It's not a thing you want to pair with VO2 max training or near race day because of that central nervous system thing. One of the things that makes it so valuable is also one of the reasons you don't want to do it mid-season because you're already putting so much stress on yourself. We also need to realize that all of this is relative to what you're doing now and it might actually be okay to lose some strength just like it might be okay to gain a little body fat in your training. I'm not going to get like super into this. I've done this so a bunch of times, but if you lose a little bit of strength in your upper body and lose a little bit of muscle mass, you might actually run faster. And if having a little bit more body fat increases your hormone levels, then that might help. Granted, I don't know where you know everybody on this call is, but it's just a thing to keep in mind that the thing we're really looking for is strength to power in regards to running. If you have multiple goals, then we need to look at it a little differently. I'm not going to get super into the weeds when it comes to programming here. I did that on, I don't know, six months ago. And if you look at the podcast, it's episode six. And I dove deep into strength training and programming and how to view it and how to periodize your year. And I also wrote a whole free guide about it. But I do want to retouch. So if we're going to we're going to talk about strength training, I want to retouch a couple important parts just so we don't get you know hurt and can do it correctly. So it matters in lifting. Form, technique, muscle connection. We can talk about a thousand other things, but those are the big three. There is no one like right form for everybody. Even if you look at competition deadlifters, their back will have like slightly different degrees of roundingness or roundedness. Um, I actually can't look at someone and tell you if you're finding the right muscles. For example, like in your deadlift, you should find your hamstrings, you should find your glutes, maybe find some of your quads. You might notice your lower back, but it shouldn't be a screaming signal. It might say hi. It's a big support structure, right? Like there's this whole thing for your torso. So if you're picking up a bunch of weight, your lower back might mention that it's existing, but it shouldn't be screaming. And it certainly shouldn't hurt. You want to target the right muscles. And me watching you, it is tough for me to tell if that's happening. So we need to have this kind of feeling and discussion. And at the end of the day, we're really looking for something that I heard from Julian Pinot called tension over position. I can give you ideas towards the right position all day long. We can get some cueing. We can figure out where you might want to start, like a good beginning idea to help you find the right spot. But at the end of the day, you need to find the right tension. If you want to build your hamstrings, and you have never felt your hamstrings, in spite of the fact that your form on whatever, bridge, Romanian deadlift, um, hip thrust, if your form looks perfect on those things and you've never connected your hamstrings, you're not gonna build them very well. You need to find your hamstrings. I told the story before on here, but I've been doing pull-ups for a long time. I had try, been trying to get a muscle up for a very long time. And my first, met Michael, the owner of one of the gyms where I work. He helped me connect to my lats and adjusted my hand position. And in the span of like 24 hours, I'd gotten my first muscle up. And that was just because I couldn't really feel my lats. So I couldn't pull very hard. I've been training them for years. They existed, but I didn't have a lot of connection to them. As soon as we find connection to the muscle you're working, you're immediately going to be better able to use it. Part of this challenge, I'm giving you access to a few sample programs as a reminder, I'm a trainer. 
doesn't necessarily mean I'm your trainer. If I were, I'd ask you a bunch of questions and help me see if it's safe to train you, and then I'd still probably tell you that you should talk to a doctor before making any changes to your exercise and nutrition regimen. So do that. Don't be dumb. Like, take care of yourself. That said, there are a few of these sample programs, and you can see if they're right for you. Some of them are going to, they're going to be based on how much equipment you have. So none, pull up bar and some bands, like only some free weights, or like a full gym access, right? And all of the programs are gonna be full body based, which means that in a session, you're gonna work like top to bottom. And some of you might ask why, some of you might ask like, what's the other option? Both great questions. Full body versus the other option would be a body weight split. Full body tends to be better for almost everybody. It keeps you more balanced. It takes less time. If you skip your, if you skip Wednesday every week, you don't skip leg day every week. You're at a lower risk for overtraining. If you want to do a split, that's great, but it probably requires at least three days a week of pretty heavy lifting to make it even remotely worthwhile. And even then, you would get more out of three days of a full body program. Unless you were lifting five, six days a week, a split just doesn't make a lot of sense. You can put in harder effort on each muscle group with less time in a full body program. I'm not saying don't do it if that's who you want to train. Lovely. It's like I'm not necessarily telling you how to do your running. If you enjoy certain workouts that aren't optimal, great. We should enjoy our training to some degree, but we should be aware of whether it's super effective or not. Another reason I like full body programs, especially for ultra runners, is it just takes so much less time and hits such, such a better thing. Like if you're in season, you rarely, if ever, need three full lifting sessions a week. Most mid-season ultra runners probably need one, maybe two, if you're trying to put on some muscle mass or like correct imbalances. If we can get more done in less time while keeping the body like nice, healthy, and balanced, that's really what we're looking for. Now, let's talk about, like if you're using this to get faster, we need to target the right movements to help you get faster. First, you will want to correct any deficits that you have, or at least start to try to do that. You don't need to fix all the things before you get faster but you should start trying to make moves towards fixing the things. If you have significant strength imbalances, it will show up in your running. In the challenge folder, I'm gonna put all this in there tomorrow, I'm gonna to share the starting assessments that I do with everyone I coach. You can give them a look. You're probably not going to be perfect in them. You should try them. And I know some people who would do pretty much all of them perfectly. I'm not one of them. Um, Nobody I've personally seen do them do them in, like in person has done them perfectly through those five tests. But through those five tests, I can get a pretty good idea of where your strength and balances are. And then we can start to work to correct them. I'm strongly leaning towards adding a six soon, but have not recorded it yet. So we get the five. Once we get an idea of your imbalances, that's where we start. Let's just talk about glutes because pretty much everybody has an imbalance in their glutes one way or the other. You have three primary glute muscles. I really only care about two of them. Your, the one I don't care about too much is your, glute, your gluteus minimus. It's your glute min. It is small underneath everything else. Not a huge factor here as long as it exists. Then you your glute, gluteus maximus, your glute max. It is the big meaty muscle in your butt that comes down the center of your butt. It plays a huge role in driving you forward. So when you run forward, you should be Pushing, as uh, the learn to run guy says, push with your tush. You should drive forward with your glute max. It is important. And if you can't 
do a squat that gets below parallel or even down to parallel, your glute max is probably weak. Cool, that's good to know. It's gonna limit your forward speed because you don't have enough power to drive you forward super well. It's also gonna really limit your uphill speed because your glute max is your primary uphill driver. So if we, don't, if we have a weak glute max, then we're gonna be slower. Now, a weak glute max can also be related to like a really tight hip. Because if you cannot get a backwards hip extension, you're going to limit the activation of your glute max. It'd be the strongest thing in the world. If you can't actually push backwards enough to use it, then it's not gonna get there. This is why, like the froggers I do, the froggers you'll see in like every warm-up is to help your hips open up a little bit. Done correctly, they can prove hip mobility, both the flexibility and strength over that range of motion. Poor ankle flexion is also a big thing that can limit your glute activation. Because if your knee can only get about one inch past your toes, you're also not really going to be able to drive with your glutes. You're going to be forced to drive with your calf, which is much smaller than your glute. Calf is like this big, your glute's like this big. So if we don't have the power or the like ankle flexion to get that power, we're going to run into problems and you're going to be slower. And you're also going to be more likely for injury, right? Because if you're pushing off with your calf, you're more likely to strain your calf than a muscle like three times the size of it, right? Now, if we're looking on the other end, if you're glute med, a big signal of this is knee valgus, which is like your knees caving inward on your squats. When you squat, if your knees don't go straight, but they like love to knock knee inwards, then you end up probably having some glute med issues. It could also be weak adductors. It could be tight abductors. Uh, weak abductors, tight adductors, uh, opposite of that. I don't really care. Sumo squats help all of those. So that is why I include them for a lot of people. It's over 80% of people I see have some level of knee valgus, at least on the single leg, if not their regular squat. So something's probably messed up. So we're gonna fix it. Now, again, these programs are like very generalized. If we looked at your assessments and everything's fine, like we might find something a little more specific that would help you. But we're trying to get a basic idea that will help most people. And your glute is this huge, powerful driver in your running. And your glute med keeps things like your knee safe. Because if your knee is collapsing in when you're running downhill, that's how you're gonna hurt your knee tendons. So we wanna make sure that your glutes can actually do their job. And also talk about quads being a big driver, right? Like your, your quad, especially that, your, like this front muscle of your BML, like right next to your knee. It is very responsible for keeping your ACL where it's supposed to be. If you tend to have ACL pain, so that pain like right below your kneecap, your VMO might very well be weak or something else, something else could be going on too, but that's a very high possibility. And if we can figure out where your strength and balances are, then we can build them very relevant to running. We'll get more into this in a second. Now you don't really need like special gear. It helps, don't get me wrong. But if you get strong enough, you'll probably benefit from something. I did like body weight work for, geez, a decade um, and was absolutely fine. But when I wanted to get even stronger than that, we had to, I had to start lifting heavier things. If you're willing and able to spend a collective like 75 bucks on a pull-up bar and either a suspension trainer or a pair of rings, you really won't need much else for a very, 
very long time. The, fam the most famous suspension trainer is a TRX. You don't need to spend the money on a TRX. You don't need to pay double unless you want to. A decent suspension trainer can cost anywhere from like 40 or 50 bucks. A good one will cost 75. It'll make a lot, a lot of the work much easier. And you can get some sort of pull-up bar to attach it to. A lot of them even have door anchors, right? And it, you can just do a lot with that. You don't need to get a full gym setup. Depending on your goals, you might need more options. No bodybuilder is going to build that musculature with a suspension trainer, although it can be super useful even for them for therapy reasons. But for most of us with like running-oriented performance strength goals, it's sufficient. There are more, there's a lot more ways speed can be helped by strength. As I was saying, quads like help your uphill and your downhill, as does stability. So like you're going to see a bunch of Bulgarian split squats in my programming or like regular split squats or pistol squats or heel elevated squats or hack squats, like something to build your quads and your ideally your stability. That's why I led with the single leg or like split versions. We also see issues with calves. A lot of runners have very strong gastrocs. So when you flex your calf, you'll see these like two muscles at the bottom. Those are your gastrocs. There is a deeper muscle that adds a bunch of size to your calf called the soleus. And if you listen to an interview on the podcast a few episodes ago, Oscar and I talked about was like very likely a soleus strain two weeks out from his race. I'm about 90% sure we could have avoided that if we had added some seated calf raises or like bent knee calf raises to his program earlier. He also self-admittedly overexerted in the heat and like we had some nutrition issues, but I could I should have just added more calf work. So I do that now for most runners because soleus is not trained very often. We can also look at core. A lot of runners have some weak lower backs, which is why you often get lower back pain. You also have weak lower abdomens, which is why you get lower back pain. So we should probably strengthen those. We need to figure out, this is not always true of everybody. You need to figure out what is true for you. But if we look at how the body drives forward, figures out what's in balance there, then we can get you stronger and you will get faster. Specifically, we're looking to like improve your strength to weight ratio. I only mention this because somebody might, because it always seems to get brought up whenever I see comments on this. You could get proportionally stronger by losing some weight. But if you're in season, the subsequent calorie deficit is going to limit your ability to train hard, or you could just get stronger, build some muscle, and see a very, very similar benefit from a power term power perspective or like a strength to weight ratio perspective while also reducing your risk for injury instead of increasing it like you would with a calorie deficit. So get strong. If you want to lose body fat, lovely. It shouldn't be happening like within close times to your race, at least not intentionally. Get strong. It'll make you much faster and it's good for you. So I'm about to open this up for questions, uh, but first, those of you in the challenge, please keep an eye on your group, On sorry, on the group and on your inboxes in the next couple of days. I'm gonna be sending out an end of challenge survey. And if you want to have the chance to win $500, you must complete this survey and then set up the call afterwards. If you do not complete the survey and then set up the call, you cannot win the $500. That's all you need to know. So do the thing and then you'll have a chance to win the money. All right, I'm gonna open up the floor for questions if you have any questions, please pop them in the comments or just turn your mic on. I really don't care, but let's talk about how strength can make you faster. And I'm happy to sit here for a couple minutes if you need it. Cool. Looks like everybody 
seems all set. Well, I guess I'm going to call this then. Uh, if we have any questions about this or anything else, please put them into the thread I'm going to create tomorrow for Thursday. We'll have one last like AMA for this challenge on Thursday. And anybody's welcome to like watch and participate or ask questions in advance. Like I put these up on the podcast for a reason because this is what I love to do. Answer questions about people trying to get better at doing hard shit. So let's um, post them in there. I'll answer them. You can post them live, whatever we need to do, and do that Thursday. Otherwise, I'm saying you're all welcome. Um, reinforcing what we've been working on. I feel like I need to learn more about muscles. Yeah, we can do that. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm, I'll talk your ear off about it. But yeah, no worries. And thank you all very much for being here. I will be doing, again, one more of these 8 p.m. Mountain Time on Thursday. And then we will, like, revert to some things next week with scheduling that might hopefully work better for everybody. Have a good rest of your night, and I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.